Welcome to the Eclectic Gamers Podcast. Today is Sunday, April 9th. It's episode 32. I'm Tony. And I'm Dennis. And we're going to talk to you about pinball and video games. And once again, tabletop's going to die on the vine. Poor little tabletop. Well, Poor I guess tabletop. We, can, we can talk a little bit about CantCon, I suppose, at the end. But but we don't yeah, really have any games I don't have anything big and special. I haven't played anything. I, I uh... Yeah, uh, I had that light dose of the con crud when we came mm-hmm. out of, when we came out of TPF. Our listeners really embraced that during episode 31, in fact. <laughs> well, I went and we got back on Sunday with Monday morning very, very early and we recorded on Monday and I was off work on Monday. I went to work on Tuesday and I had the crud. Then on Wednesday, I went to work, got in a car, drove to Wichita. Spent the night in Wichita for some classes and stuff, and then drove back on Thursday, and on Friday, I was still feeling kind of down in the dumps, and then I woke up Saturday morning, and I felt like somebody had hit me in the face with a sledgehammer. My sinuses were terrible. Oh, they were so bad. I slept a huge chunk of the day, and then Sunday, I was fine. It was gone. So good. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It was weird, but... It uh, had to break you before it, you could be rebuilt. Yeah, yeah, it 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 was pretty bad. But other than that, um, not a whole lot's been going on. Um, I've survived another trip around the sun, and I'm happy belated birthday. Thank you. And uh, I'm I'm 24. Mm, you sound 23. <laughs> so time time is being kinder to you than it is to myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Add a decade or so onto that, or a decade and a half or onto so. that. Let's just go with or so. <laughs> um, uh, I've been playing some games that don't involve spreadsheets in space, though only a couple, because I've been doing a lot of spreadsheets in space. I know, and I know one of them we're going to hit on in our video game segment. Yes, we are. Be fun. Uh, and then I've been, uh, list, I finished a couple new audiobooks and one of these days I'm just gonna have to do a big audiobook roundup because I'm, I'm, I'm waiting until I've got two series that I'm reading, that I'm reading, listening to that are on mm-hmm. book two and book three is out in book form, but not in audiobook form. And I don't really want to talk to, talk about them until they're all out and done because they're, very funny and very enjoyable, but I'd like to have them all out before I recommend them to people. So, but otherwise, I haven't been doing a whole lot. What have you been up to? Well, now, now I, I do have one. I have one other question. You didn't, uh, you didn't make any major purchases when we were in Texas. Oh uh, yeah, all stuff. So I know, you know, we're a three part podcast. So I'm wondering if you happen to buy anything that maybe relates to one of our other segments. I did. Since I didn't buy any pinball machines or anything, when I got back, Micro Center had a really good sale on 24-inch monitors. So I added a third 24-inch monitor to my uh, battle station here. So I've got three monitors now. Unfortunately, this it was a really good deal on this on this new one. But where my old ones were are several years old and they're LCDs and the new one is an LED, you can definitely tell which one the new one is by look, even though the bezels are almost identical. But the new one's a lot brighter. So I'm going to have to, that means I've got to replace the other two now. 
but I, we'll get I to it with time. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It'll 72 happen eventually. And, and, and 24 of it is just way too bright. But at least you have it centered so that it yeah. balanced. Balance is yeah, everything. So. Yeah, that's what I did is I centered the new one. and But yeah, I've been wanting three monitors for a long time now. And now that I have them, I know that three monitors are amazing. And I have no burning desire for a fourth monitor. Well, I'm very happy early. with three monitors. So it's early, you were happy with two monitors for a while as well. So, well, no, from the minute I got two monitors, I wanted a third monitor. I was, I, uh, I, yeah, I wanted a third monitor the day I got my second monitor. My thing, my thing, thinking up of a for a fourth monitor now is that my desk, even with my new huge desk, is pretty. Uh, I don't want to fill too much more of it with monitors the way things are setting now. So I'd have to start going vertically and I'm already getting, um, annoyed comments about not having my own place or my own room where I'm causing issues for everybody else. So I'm going to try to stop my spread mm. from taking over too much more of everything. Well, that's pretty nice of you. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. I can see you drawing the line at three. I, I've so far drawn the line at one, but. Oh, I, once, once you, once you go to two, you'll realize that it's almost impossible to use a single monitor. At work, we've got single monitor computer, or we, about half of our computers are double monitors and the other half are single monitors. And the single monitor computers annoy me so much because it's like, I, I can't do half the stuff I want to do. I mean, I can, it's just really annoying. Yeah. It just, you, you just be crippled. You can't accomplish next to anything. Inefficient. Yep. See, cause now That's I mean. can do spreadsheets and space on two monitors and still watch Netflix on a third. Or I can do spreadsheets in space on three monitors, which has happened at times. Or I like I've been I've been doing a lot of stuff. Well, like right now, because now I've got our notes on one page, I've got our our recording stuff on another monitor, and then I've got a third the third monitor set up so I can look up anything that I need to look up during the way instead of bouncing back and forth. And I've also got a nice little thing going, like when I'm playing normal games that don't require two or three monitors that I can still do have information up on one monitor and watch Netflix or do something else. It's, it's really nice. Cool. Cool. Well, I'm glad you like it. It sounded like you were pretty sure you would. So yeah, I knew what I knew it and I'm pretty happy with it. Well, uh, I did not buy any new monitors or much of any much of anything really but i have i've been working on a few things so uh, i did last weekend was the 403 monthly pinball tournament which i went to and out at which is not atypical for me but i did pick up an interview that we're going to drop in during our pinball segment so that was good and we'll hit on that when we get to that part uh video game front uh has been uh, a mix of things i finished final fantasy 15 Finally, I just can't, I, I, you know, I started it. It was all right. I, it took under 30 hours for me to win. I think I was somewhere between 27 and 28 hours. Uh, and that was me pushing pretty much straight through after about the 18 or 20 hour point, I guess. Um, I did have to grind a few levels to beat the last chapter because, uh, you need to be around level 45, I think to pull that off. And I was at about 39 when I quit doing side quests, but I, I just needed to get the game off my plate uh, because I wanted to start other things, but I just don't like leaving games in limbo. And it was it was good enough that I wanted to finish it, but I, I kind of had to make myself just punch through it, which which I have done. 
So you so it it wasn't like say oh Final Fantasy seven where it was just soul inducing and you didn't want to do anything else until you'd finished all the awesomeness of that one. It, no. But it wasn't so bad that you were just gonna let it go. Right, right. No, it, it's a it's a very competent game. Uh I didn't enjoy the combat in it. They've gone with an active combat system, which I think was smart. But I didn't think I didn't find the combat fun. I didn't enjoy doing it. It feels like I'm just holding down the B button most of the time and letting my character, uh, you know, it looks cool, but but I'm not doing a lot. It's not like a hack and slash game where I'm comboing and such. It's more like the combos are automatic. So it didn't rise to the level that I wanted it to be and uh, combat wise. And then there's a lot of time spent in the car. You're driving around from place to place. Sometimes you're allowed to fast travel. A lot of times you're not. I actually had a travel. I probably should have just fast traveled to somewhere first and then did the rest of the journey. But I had a link up and it wouldn't let me fast travel it. Ten actual minutes in the car just sitting there. And the characters are just they're supposedly talking. You don't hear them. You can listen to music. It's just it's it's got a lot of padding in it. The smart thing that they did with this in response to, I believe, 13 is the big criticism of 13 was totally linear up until one section at the end of the game, which you could then go back to and do all the high level stuff. This time they made it extremely open world and it really is. It really feels it. It feels it maybe more than any of the old Final Fantasies even did. But but it's like, okay, well, but you're not going to be high enough to do a lot of those fights. And, you know, you just got those sort of invisible barriers that you'd expect where, the it, you know, you'll be punished because you'll die trying to do it. But it, I thought that was smart. They did a lot of smart things. It looks great. Uh, it's well voice acted. Uh, the characters are the characters you, you'd expect out of a Final Fantasy or most JRPGs, actually. So uh, I don't. Uh, if you like JRPGs, I think you'll probably find this game worth playing, but uh, it didn't blow me away. And that's a sort of the sort of the, the case of, of what it is. Um, so I've started that's a couple. Been, that's been kind of the case with Final Fantasies for a while lately. I wonder if Final Fantasy's just done. Yeah, I mean, uh, here's, you know, it's a that's an interesting question that, uh, you know, maybe we could dive in depth at some point on my my theory is the problem with Final Fantasy is they're spending way too much time in between games. This game had been announced like a decade ago. That is just it's not they're not good enough for that that's that's duke nukem forever plus life cycle stuff and it doesn't <laughs> make any it's they're not they're just not that good they're not good enough when you compare it to like a a tales game like you know the Vesperia and all that other there are other very very competent very well received jrpgs that are not taking this sort of development cycle they are not good enough to warrant it so what I think they need to do is start spitting out a game every two to three years and show that they can put out competent, quick games and then kind of go from there and see what they need to do. But you just can't you can't build up this much hype and then drop something like this. It's not it wasn't Duke Nukem forever. It's not bad. It's just there's no you look at this and you're like, you don't think it took 10 years. You just don't. So anyway, it was all right. Uh, and I, I've started a couple other games, which I'll go into in the, in the video game segment, but I do want to note one of them that I've started. I just started it yesterday is battle group two actually got a copy of that from the link cable podcast. Uh, they sent me a steam code and I assume it was that I, uh, I answered a question they had on most underrated title screen in video games. And 
which was a great question uh, because it made me spend way more time than I should have. I should have been working. And instead I was trying to think up, oh, well, that's a really good screen. Oh, everyone knows that. I need an underrated one. I'm going through and I'm looking at clips, trying to figure out which games had really good video game uh, title screens, but I could not intros, but just the title screens. So anyway, I went with Spec Ops The Line because it, it was really awesome how they did it. But uh, it was an interesting question. And that made me think, you know what? We should probably poach that idea. I've seen a few other podcasts do it where they, I mean, it was just like, you know, you get humble bundle codes or whatever, and then you can give away games. It's uh, cheaper than sending t-shirts. So, <laughs> so that's not um, a bad idea at all. So anyway, uh, I'll go into the game though uh, later on. Uh, and then let's see a couple other pinball project stuff. Uh, I did buy a mod for my star Trek at TPF and I finally put it in the install guide from measles mods was great. It was no problem except I, I made a boo-boo. I never on star Trek lifted the play field all the way up and rested against the back box. So I was being super careful. I've got my moving blanket out. It's draped. I've got it all lined up. I'm making sure the cords aren't catching lifted all the way up. Smack, 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 smack. I forgot to take the balls out. Oh, no. I forgot to take the balls out. Every ball fell and bounced over onto Superman's glass. And as each one smacking, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, that's going to shatter. That's the biggest piece of glass I have. It's going to be expensive. (laughs) It did not break. It did not chip or anything. You know, tempered glass is supposed to hold up to a, a few good smacks. But I just thought, oh, my. Gosh, how stupid could I be to not take the <laughs> balls out? I mean, I do that uh, from time to time in single ball games where I'll, I'll not put it all the way back, but I'll lift it enough. And on the older games in particular, that'll roll out and go to the back of the play field. I mean, like, ah, I forgot the one ball in the in the trough. And and but no, this one, every single one is oh, it was just a, it was annoying. But other than that, mod went in fine. Uh, I also ended up having to take that glass out of Superman anyway, because I ordered some stand-up targets. I had a broken one and just the plastic was broken on the stand-up. But Atari used, they had to be special. So they used octagon shapes and they're not the easiest thing to acquire. But someone had parted out an Atari Space Riders, which is the only other Atari game I know of that used white octagon stand-ups. So I bought bought those off eBay or won the auction. So I got those and I replaced my broken one after I, I cleaned them all up. So I have a couple spares and and so that's that's pretty good for that. And then I guess the last thing, back hopping over more on the video game side. I know I've mentioned a few times I I'm on uh I'm one of the volunteer staff over at the True Achievements website, which uh, they they track uh, games, mostly Xbox games, but they actually have a couple other sister sites, true trophies for the PlayStation people and uh, true steam achievements for PC. And I've been on the genre in, or excuse me, the game information team for years, I think since 2014. And I was brought in to help do genre assignments and they finally moved to a multi-genre system for all of the sites. So now it's not having to shoehorn every single game into just one genre, which was great. And it sounded like the plan was to move over towards community voting and community deciding to set all of that stuff. I sort of, I guess, akin to how Steam does it. And I thought I can finally retire from this because, you know, with the podcast and everything, I'm, I'm busy enough. I don't need to be on staff anymore. And so I offered, I told them, don't feel like you need to shoehorn me in to keep me on game info. I don't want to do flagging on achievements and stuff. It's not interesting to me. And they sent me a message back and I thought it would be 
thanks, you know, thanks for your service. Okay, no problem. Uh, and instead, it's like, no, we the community has been messing up on the genre assignments. They're inconsistent. We need a team to maintain uh, maintain integrity to the definitions. So there's a three person genre team. I'm still doing it. So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll still work with that because that's fine. But Anyway, uh, I'm glad they finally went multi-genre. It's going to solve a lot of problems, but I've just been so busy since getting back from Texas because there was this litany of games that would be like the 360 version and the Xbox One version weren't put in the same genre. Uh, So you just had to, there's been a lot of fixing. So anyway, so that was quite an intro, but I'm done with it now. And that means we can go on to pinball, (laughs) which is what the listeners want. That's what they want. It's what they need. It's what a lot of them want. We have a lot of pinball listeners and we appreciate all of you pinball people. And um, so we will give you what you need. And you know what? I was looking at our one note list here. Holy cow. Can I please have one? I mean, I I get it for the pinball people. I I love talking about pinball, but you know what? We are a mixed gaming podcast. Why is there so much pinball news again? We've had one episode so far in 2017 that was not super heavy in pinball. And this one I can already tell is going to be heavy pinball again. <sighs> I'm I not going to say it feels I, I, bad, man. I'm just going to say feels busy, man. Yeah, I think this is something we're, something we're going to see a lot of this year. Because this year, in, unless unless this year is front-loading all the pinball stuff, this year is going to be kind of heavy. I think you're right. And I, yeah, I think, you know, it's just, I guess the hobby's grown enough that there's just more news than, than it was a year ago when we were looking and it was like, you know what, we probably won't be able to talk pinball heavily all the time. And we didn't. But uh, let's go ahead and dive right in. Uh, first thing uh, that we need to go ahead and hit on is uh, we had one of our listeners on pin side uh, his handle is solar fire. He asked us uh, what our, what our thoughts were on the, the P3 system, multimorphic P3 system, because we didn't talk about it during our TPF episode. And so he was curious if it was just an oversight or if we hadn't actually played it. And so anyway, so here we are. Uh, I have played it before. I know you have played it before. Yeah, uh, I would so call it an oversight. Yeah. I, yeah. I would have called it an oversight because I played Lexi the Lightspeed last year, and I played it again this year. I played the the oh, I don't remember what the the Cannon the ship Cannon, Cannon Lagoon. Yeah, Cannon Lagoon. I played that last year and this year. I played the Pitch and Bat game this year. Um. The only time I ever saw the head-to-head game where I, there wasn't like a bunch of people there playing was one of the times when I was wandering alone, so I didn't play it. And the uh, uh, the little pinball training game is something that I would really actually kind of like for my kids. That would be pretty. I think that'd be a pretty good thing. But I just I didn't spend a lot of time there because we spent a lot of time there last year. So I just kind of touched them and played them a little bit and I didn't spend a whole lot of time there and I didn't even really think about it because there wasn't a whole lot of change from last year. I do like what they are doing. Um, I think the combinations that they've put together and the ability to switch stuff up is going to be a very good thing going on. But all in all, it's, uh, pretty much the same as last year, except for their fight. They're, they're, they're in production now, which is good. And I don't know, none of the games are, I think once they get another game besides Lexi, that'll be, that's going to be the important thing when they get another big, true pinball game game. Did you, uh, did you get a chance to try the pinball tutorial? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I played it when I, that time there was nobody at the, on the head to heads, there was nobody on the pinball tutorial game. 
while I was walking around by myself. So I played it some, uh, a little bit and it's, it's just, it's neat. It's, it's a little, I don't think it's something that I would be all about all the time, but it's for learning skills and stuff. It seems okay. I thought when I played it, I was mainly thinking about my kids more than anything else. Right. Something for them. And I think a lot from what I've seen, I've seen some people comment on, on the tutorial and, and mentioning, mentioning that, you know, teaching new players, uh, basic techniques and, and intermediate techniques as they, as they move along. I, uh, yeah, similar. You actually got more time in it this year than I did. I only did the pitch and bat this year. Uh, last year I played Canyon Lagoon and I played Lexi Lightspeed. I really liked, uh, I enjoyed Lexi quite a bit. Uh, Canon Lagoon, uh, remind me more of a tutorial style thing, actually, uh, because of the, uh, in terms of, I thought this will really teach you about, uh, trapping up and shooting or aiming on the fly because of how the boats work. So yes, the, I, I did go up and I did explicitly take time to take a look at the cabinet stuff now that they're in production, what the final version looks like, because it was very prototype looking in 2016. I think it looks good. Cabinet looks great. Uh, I heard good things about the head-to-head game, but I didn't get any time on it. I didn't try the, the training game. The pitch and bat I did not care for. The... I think I've read that they're already they're planning to make it so that the ball doesn't randomly pitch out from different areas. I didn't mind that part. It's just the one I was playing. Fifty percent of the balls went straight down the middle between the flippers, and I, you know, maybe they wanted me to nudge the machine to to try and hit it. I just wasn't expecting that out of a pitch and bat. So I'm going to guess that was how it was tuned, and that wasn't on purpose. But it made it frustrating. I mean, I'd also played the Dennis Nordman zombie pitch and bat, and I thought it was a lot better. So that, uh, you know, just comparative wise, I just didn't like it as much. But overall, uh, I'm pretty much in the in the same boat as you. Uh, in 2016, I remember when we talked about this, my big concern at the time was the $10,000 price point. I was having trouble imagining that people would be comfortable, even if you got two games with it. And you could rationalize what's five thousand dollars a game. It's still ten thousand dollars for one cabinet, and I just really questioned whether or not people would be able to justify that. I do not have that concern anymore because pinball prices have inflated so much over the last year that now this looks even more like a deal than it did then. So you you get all these you know get these various games, however many come with whatever arrangement you choose to buy, and you're going to sit there and you're going to be like, okay, well, but you look at the the collector's edition and limited edition game runs of things from Jersey Jack and Stern at this point, or Dutch Pinball and its Bride of Pinbot 3.0, or excuse me, Bride of Pinbot 25, and and this all of a sudden is in line with all of that, which so through no action on their part. The, the P3 platform is now much more competitive because the other pinball manufacturers have decided to increase their margins so much. So that's good for, that's good for the P3. What's bad is the same thing you brought up. I still think they're lacking what I would, what I would call from the, from the software side, a killer app. They need some game that just blows people away. They don't have the killer app. Lexi Lightspeed, I hear positive things on. I don't think I've ever read anyone who said they loved it, though. And so, and and currently it feels like from every, I mean, we got the Canon game, we got the head to head, we got the, we got the tr- tutorial thing, and we got the pitch and bat. But Lexi is like the only traditional pinball game still with the system that I'm aware of. 
So where are, you know, we need to see the other titles and what they really, I mean, they really just need one more, but it just, it needs to be awesome. They need the awesome killer app. And then I think they reach that level where they're competitive, uh, coupled with the inflation on the traditional pins that people will be like, well, you know what, this, you get Lexi and you get this new super awesome game that, that plays, you know, amazing. It's better than dialed in, you know, that's what they need. I think for it to, to really, really be successful, but uh, you know, we'll see how many of, of the units they're able to move. I think a lot of people might be holding off though, because there, there isn't a killer app yet. And you know, you don't want to, it's a great idea. I still love it. It's the most innovative thing in pinball, but we really, I really want to see something, uh, another traditional pinball game come out and I want it to be better than Lexi. Yeah. That's something that I think we can both agree on. Um, they need another game. Lexi is an okay game. That's the most I'll give it is, is it's okay. It's nothing wonderful to write home about. It's nothing terrible. It's, it's very in the middle and it does a good job. I think of showing off what the system can do, um, without, being something that really stands out. So I think as a first game, it, it makes a definite sense, but they have, there, there needs to be another game. There needs to be something else, something to really, uh, grab the people and make the purchase fully worthwhile. Cause yes, I, I like the pinball trainer as an idea for people who don't play pinball or for like my kids and stuff. But again, I'm not spending $10,000 for pinball trainer. I'm not spending $10,000 for a bat and ball game that I can promise you I will never play. And same thing with Cannon Lagoon. Cannon Lagoon is kind of interesting as a learning thing, but I would never, it's not something I would turn on and play typically as my first choice of what I was going to play. So, and the head to head game requires you to have two machines. So there's $20,000. Yeah. yeah. No, that'd be so interesting on location, but, but again, that it's a lot, that's a lot, it's a lot of investment and they've definitely structured this to be more oriented towards the home environment right? because of the, the whole idea. I mean, that's the, that's the greatest thing about it. That's what, where I think they've done way better than highway has about, you know, highway and its swappable play field idea was, was a decent concept, but I don't push it in a, in a way that I think really makes it make sense. You know, and the fact that you had to upgrade the system from alien from full throttle for alien to work and, and just other things that complications that cropped up. And this is entirely modular. It's even easier to store than entire player fields are. You know, that's, that's the niche. The head to head doesn't meet that in my mind. I'm how many homeowners are going to buy two of this uh, I just, I don't, I don't see that, but if they were thinking that this might be a way to maybe some arcades, uh, might be in, in on it, you know, I, I could kind of envision it, but again, there's just not enough applications. Yet. I think that might be more proof of concept than anything though. I'm not sure they're, I'm not sure the head to heads really designed to move units, but, and I heard it was fun. Uh, and we've seen that in the past with pinball trying to do it like uh NBA fast break, I believe allowed head to head, uh, in some linked up way, but um, you know, that and was don't also forget a lot there was the money. joust machine back in the day. Oh, sure. They've been, uh, and someone had a, a Gottlieb, I think it was soccer themed or football themed at TPF. I didn't get time on it, but I saw people playing it all the time. That was head, head to head on, you know, staying on opposite ends. So yeah, there's some, uh, there's some pretty co- cool ideas you can do with it, but you know, $20,000 to be able to do the, just the one cool idea. Yeah. It's not gonna, I don't think that's a motivator and I'm not sure it was meant to be. It's just, but it's not. 
So anyway, that's uh, that's P3. Uh, let's move on to another another game that that's all right or or good, depending on your perspective. Uh, and that'd be Batman 66. Uh, Tony and I were invited along with some of our other area players uh, we have a, we have a local, his name's Gavin. He, uh, won a Batman 66 as part of a charity raffle. I think it was uh, project pinball charity, but there, there are a couple others that, that do these sort of things. Anyway, he won a Batman 66. So uh, it was a game that I didn't think we were going to ever see on location. Uh, it's not on location, but we, we know someone who has one. So he invited people over to try it. And I was able to attend because I had the week off after Texas. So I didn't have to get, I didn't have to get up because he, he, he invited people over at uh, 9 p.m. after, you know, he's off work and taking care of everything with the kids. And it was so good that I did have the week off. We did not leave until 3.15 a.m. Wow. So I, yes, I was very tired the next day, but it, but yeah. it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. I wasn't able to go because that was the day before I left for Wichita. So I figured, yes. you know, I should spend some time with the family seeing as I'd only been back home for two days and I was about to leave them for another night. Mm-hmm. And, and Gavin, uh, really lucked out because besides me, he actually, he got a couple of our area players, Carrie Wing, who I'm going to have the interview with later. Uh, she came and so did another player of ours, Jason, area player who's also exceedingly good at pinball. So he actually got a couple of people who know how to blow machines up. And I never finished ahead of Carrie or Jason. I think I took third on one game and the rest of the time I was fourth. So <laughs> anyway, um, but I just wanted to give some quick thoughts about Batman 66 because I got to have a number of games on it. Uh, actually, I was pleasantly surprised. The I know the code isn't very far along uh, compared to a lot of other releases that Stern has had. And that's been a big criticism about Batman 66, that the code has been slow to come out. There actually is already quite a bit of depth to this game. And so I guess the first thing I, I want to say, though, is compared to Batman The Dark Knight, Batman 66 is way better. It's a way better player. So when when uh, George Gomez was going out and saying that he was Im- improving the flow compared to Batman The Dark Knight, that was true. When he said he was trying to make it play better, that's true. The game comparatively i can't imagine anyone saying the dark knight plays better than batman 66 it is just it's just a better game it it moves a lot faster the rotisserie thing that they're that they're doing with the bat phone and the ball locks and stuff it's a really cool mechanic um the they've got uh they have a hurry up mode but instead of the bat car thing where you just keep hitting the ramp over and over and over and over if you want to keep charging it up they've got the they've got a scoop that's the commissioner gordon shot now and it's sort of offset to the right from the middle. So it's dangerous if you want to try and boost your bat phone and stuff. And, and it tracks that it's like tracks your combos. It tracks your bat phone, uh, hurry up cash in and all that. They've made a lot of lucrative things really, really dangerous. And the, the programmer on it, Lyman sheets, who's known for, he's a high level competitive player. His codes generally the most well-received it's he's the one who did the walking dead code. So, it already has this, you know, intricate stuff where you can take risky shots and build up multipliers. You can you can light particular shots for extra bonus. Where we're talking two x, three x, six x. You can get all sorts of fancy stuff going on with that. The main thing that's notable that's not in the programming right now are the minor villains. They don't really do much. And there are lights, there are inserts to indicate like season one, season two, season three. That stuff's not incorporated yet. 
so Ga- Gavin gave me a total rundown on his understanding of the software and walked me through all the basic modes and stuff. And Jason went and uh, got into the wizard mode while he was there and set grand champion, of course, because that's what he does. And uh, so anyway, it it would be enough that, you know, if I were to enter a charity contest and it'd be like, pick Aerosmith premium or Batman 66 premium, I'd actually have to think about it now. Um, I haven't had a ton of time on Aerosmith, but with Lyman on code with Batman and what I've seen in the game so far uh, in a home environment, I think that could be, it's got a lot of legs on it. I think you could have a lot of, a lot of fun and it's going to have a lot of depth. So anyway, I, I was, I was impressed. I, I thought, wow, this actually plays uh, a lot better than I expected. And I like the, uh, the LCD integration on Batman better than I do on Aerosmith. So I thought, really, I thought you think it works stuff, better? I do. I do. It just feels like it feels like you're in the movie or the TV show. Excuse me. It just, yeah. Um, Aerosmith is good too. You know, the animated thing It's just, again, and we've had this talk before, you know, Aerosmith, the music pin, it's not taking me on a journey. It's not telling me a story. And Batman is kind of trying to tell me a story. I'm, I'm playing the TV show and it's got some funny animations in and of itself. Uh, the bat fan, they've patched it. So it's not always honking at you. That's actually timed. So you have to hit the bat phone while it's beeping. Uh, or keep hitting your Gordon shots to make it more and more and more valuable. But if you don't hit your Gordon shots and you don't hit your phone, phone turns off. You got to turn the phone back on. It's not the safest shot in the world. So, you know, make your choice as well. Uh, but anyway, yeah, uh, I, I think it's actually a pretty good player. Um, I almost, I get it with the theme, but you know, I kind of wish, uh, this, I think it's going to have enough depth that it could have really warranted as a, from a player standpoint, making a pro version and putting it out on route. I, I'm not surprised Stern didn't, uh, given the, the theme just isn't appealing enough for that, but, um, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty good player. Awesome. I look forward to getting a chance to play it at some point. Uh, I believe that we do have one, one did end up coming to 403. I'm pretty certain oh, I saw 403 do put an update up on. The Facebooks earlier this week that they have, uh, they've got a big Lebowski and a Batman 66 now. Mm, I'm trying okay. to look I'm it not, up. I'm not surprised about, yeah, I knew about big Lebowski coming. Um, of course, uh, that is an excellent segue, Tony, because Dutch pinball is next on the agenda. We, I try, uh, you tried very well. And as those who listened to the last episode know, there has been a lot of drama surrounding Dutch and their contract manufacturer, ARA or ARA. We call them ARA. I don't know if that's right or not. Um, Anyway, just a little brief update. There has been some new news. Uh, The manager at ARA who was involved with working with Dutch Pinball is gone now. I read that he was terminated, but I, you know, I don't know that for, I don't know that for a fact. And no one knew if he did he was terminated that it had anything to do with the Dutch pinball contract. Since that happened though, Dutch pinball and Ara have sat down and had a meeting together. Dutch reported back indicating that they think the discussions uh, did happen and they felt the meeting went well, but that they have not reached a, an agreement yet on resuming production for the big Lebowski. I don't, I mean, online on pin side in particular, there's been a lot of excitement Obviously, there's a sense by a lot of the community that the manager might have been the roadblock at Ara. This, of course, got spun <laughs> to the degree that the manager was fired from Ara because possibly he was, you know, taking money and exploiting this contract <laughs> uh, in, in violation of what the terms said. <laughs> uh, based off of the results of the meeting, I, I don't know what you, what your impressions would be. My thought is, if this didn't immediately result in resumption, that 
uh, Ara and the, whatever the issue was with the manager, at least it wasn't wholly the notion that the manager somehow was just outright breaking the contract, but they actually think that they have cause to, to continue to hold things up. But yeah, I think it's the, the same thing. I mean, we don't even know that that's why the manager was terminated. It could have been anything. And they just have a new person in there wanting to start their, their negotiations back up in their own way. So it could be anything. Um, I'll be interested to see. I know that I'm still of the opinion that if Dutch does not get, uh, the big Lebowski back in production and the, the 40 or 50 machines, whichever it was that is in that, that Ara has completed, uh, shipping. Uh, I was going to say by the end of the year, but I'm going to be honest. If they don't get those, if they don't get those completed machines come, you know, mid year, come summer, I think that it's pretty much the going to be a guarantee that Dutch isn't going to last unless that stuff gets spun back up. I mean, it's just they've taken such a hit. And we talked last time about the joke that is the, the, the bride of Pinbot debacle. And I think they're flailing and I think anything that can get their production back started is the only thing they're going to, is going to be required for them to continue in existence. Cause I don't think anybody really cares about Bride of Penbot. And the only people who care about anything are the big Lebowski owners. And all they've done so far is make their brand look terrible and make people not trust them to buy from them again. They're hurting themselves very badly the longer this lasts. You're right. Yeah, you're you're definitely right. The uh, I mean, overall, the this minor update it is good news in the sense that we we've heard that Dutch and Ara are actually sitting down and having a conversation again, and that's good because when the presentation was given at TPF, Dutch made it sound like they were just sort of in a holding pattern, but not even moving forward. Uh, in terms of through the legal system and trying to litigate these boxes back yet, but we're, I don't know if they're waiting for Ara to blink first or what, but given that regardless of the reason for the departure, that the manager being gone means that they're back at the table, that, that is a positive. Even if, you know, uh, there's still obviously disagreement, they haven't struck anything yet. Um, and we don't know if they will or not. At least we see a window of opportunity, but you're right. This, Dutch is in the position of weakness as far as I can as far as I can tell. They're a small operation. Ara is a contract manufacturer. They have other contracts, presumably. They had to gear up to do just the pinball thing. So and the Bright of Pinbot 25 is a terrible idea. It's it's probably the worst idea I've heard in pinball since I got into pinball. I can't believe they thought that it would sell at that price. Uh with the with the number of units they ended up announcing, 150. Holy cow. Um I, but what else can they do at this point? I, I guess they could make Bright of Pinbot kits again, but what's the demand on those? I mean, if Cointaker still had one at the start of the TPF show, I just don't imagine there's a whole lot of demand. You know, I think what they probably should have done is is kit another game, take another game that could have used a DMD uh, and some rules changes and such, but it was fairly popular, so there was a big market potential market, and do that, but. Uh, you know, as small as Dutch is, they can't just have like designs and stuff falling off the tree. And that I think shows with Bride of Pinbot 25, because what happens for your game number two, when you had all this work and trouble with Big Lebowski setting aside the contract manufacturer, you know, all the frustrations and struggles that they've had over the years, 
what do they do? They turn back to the, the, the one thing they know, Bride of Pinbot, and they try and, you know, take from the apple tree once more. And it's like, you can only feast off that tree so many times it's going to run out of fruit. And I think that's the, we're, I think we're out at this point. The moment you decide to act like the apples were gold plated and you made them look like monk fruit instead. So now they're ugly. <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's, the, I mean, I posted on our, on our Facebook page, the, uh, the link to the, uh, the flyer design <laughs> of bride. And I kind of poked fun at it. And, you know, there was some positive reception to that poking of fun. And I'm not surprised because it's ugly. But anyway, uh, overall, though, this is positive. But you're right. If they don't get this moving, uh, I just I don't see how they stay in business. I just don't. Because Bride of Pinbot 25 is not going to be the bailout. It's too nope. much it's too much money. It looks too weird. And they're making too many of it to be limited in the way that they think it is. So, And again, like we said last time. Bride isn't even the best of the uh, Penbot series of games. It's probably no. the worst of the Penbot series of games, honestly. Yeah, I, I agree so. with you. It's the one they know. They've never done anything with Penbot or Jackbot. So, I mean, what are they? What else could they? I, I sympathize in the sense that, in that, what else could they come up with, really? The thing is, I have to imagine that this 25 had been in the works for a while. That's the game number two they had been talking about with Ara before the holdups and stuff. The only thing I think might have been different is maybe originally they really did plan for it to be truly limited to like 25 units. But because of all these issues, they decided, well, maybe we could get away with 150. Stern got to do that with the SLEs on Batman going to 80. And it's like, eh, you're not Stern. And Batman SLE looks great. They didn't take an already iconic art package and turn it into abomination. So yeah, they, and that's something they did. They ruined that art package. They took what was a good art package and made it bad. Yeah, I just it doesn't make sense. But anyway, uh, I am hoping that the the resolution is you know worked out with Ara and the rest of the Big Lebowski's get to come out into the wild. Um, but I guess uh, we will know relatively soon because I just can't see this limping along forever. And in b- before before we move on to ruin my segue completely, uh, it wasn't for 03 that got the games. It was a different place I'd seen online. Mm. So I was completely oh. wrong. My segue is a complete waste. I got your hopes up for nothing. I got my hopes up for nothing. Is it a location not in the area? Yeah, it's not in the area. Oh, Ugh. trash, worthless. I know, I know. <sighs> Oh. I, I I I have too many things that are all tied together in my in my uh, uh, social my 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 social stuff that I peer through and I don't spend enough time. I just kind of scroll through it a lot of times. Well, I I, I forgive you. You will find that I am kind and <laughs> kindly. I will handle our transition. Uh, our transition <laughs> is actually going to be to the interview that I did when I was at the four hundred three club last week for the tournament. Uh, Carrie Wing was there. For those that don't know Carrie, we actually interviewed her last year when she won the Papa Circuit event at Cactus Jacks. And she was noteworthy uh, beyond, obviously, the very difficult challenge of winning a Papa Circuit event, which not everyone does, uh, but that she was the first woman to ever win a Papa Circuit event. So a little bit of history made there. Uh, The IFPA had their 2017 Women's World Pinball Championship. I think that's the formal proper name. I know I get it wrong in the interview, so apologies up front. And Carrie finished second uh, to Helena 
during that. Uh, Tony and I watched a lot of that live while it was happening. Actually, a lot of a lot of people watched it live and a lot of people in the Kansas City area because we play with Carrie all the time watched because we wanted her to win. And she <laughs> came very, very close, obviously, by finishing second. So I sat down with her. Uh, I have a brief interview that we're going to drop in here. It's under nine minutes long, so uh, it's pretty efficient. We're going to go through a lot of those matchups, and she's going to give her thoughts about kind of what it was like to play in that environment. Uh, I want to extend our thanks to Carrie for sitting down with me and for her awesome finish. Second place is nothing to sneeze at. And also thank her for bearing with me because I brought my pocket recorder. We did it. And then I realized I had the recorder on pause for the entire interview. So she she kindly did the interview twice. And uh, it was quite embarrassing for me to, ha- to have to do that. Uh, but unfortunately, it appeared I thought it was running and the levels were running, but the recording was not. So. Uh, I also have to apologize to the listeners for the sound quality. We did it at a bar, did it outside, but there, you know, there's a lot of noise as people go in and out. And so I did my best to strip out the background noise. I think I stripped out all the background profanity, which I, of course, really have to watch for because we are a clean podcast. But uh, with all that said, here is my interview with Carrie Wing, second place finisher of the 2017 Women's World Pinball Championship. This is Dennis with the Eclectic Cambers Podcast, sitting here with Carrie Wing once more. Uh, thank you, Carrie, for being with us. Uh, you are the second place finisher of the 2017 uh, National Women's Pinball Championship. And I just wanted to run over a few of the highlights of that because it was really interesting to watch. It was streamed on Twitch. Unfortunately, the recording appears to have been lost, so no one else will get to see it uh, because they didn't archive it off. But um, this was the first time I'd ever watched this sort of thing going alongside with Nationals. I have, well, I've seen some other tournaments before. And I just wanted to run through real quick with your, your matchups. Really up until the finals, you went pretty efficiently through these brackets. Um, uh, your first matchup was with Anna, who, right. uh, East Coast player? Yes. Or New York? New York. Uh, from what I heard, she's from the New York, New Jersey area. Mm-hmm. And she has played in the Super Leagues, but she told me, like, she wanted to earn her points outright because there's kind of a controversy among the New York Super Leagues because yes. they do, like, a weekly thing worth 70 points. Which the rest of us can't even say Kansas can't really compete with. Right, right. Um, and we've actually covered one of the few competitive things we've covered on the podcast is Super League. Oh, really? Okay, uh, because so they've been really they've been nerfed. Their points right. have been broken. So she actually told me like she wanted to earn her points honestly. So she stopped doing Super League. Oh, like interesting. Ago, which is interesting, yeah. And basically, I could tell she was a good player, but she kind of had a hard time in Dallas, and I ended up going up four zero. Against her, right? We, I, could, I we, could tell she was a reasonable. Child. Yeah, she. Uh, we only got to see one game. Uh, that was the, on the Playboy uh, machine, and she was very close to your score. She just, she just drained a little too fast. She needed one more bonus count, grotto shot. So, uh, match number two was against Zoe uh, Vrabel out of the West Coast area. I always forget if she's Seattle or Portland. Right. Um, she was the defending women's champion. No. Okay. And uh, very, very good. Uh, co-host the uh, Tilt Through, which is a competitive uh, pinball podcast, my, my personal favorite. And uh, she highly praised you uh, back when you uh, won the Papa Circuit event down at Cactus Jacks in 2016. So, uh, so she knew who you were. Um, that was the one where you had the, uh, the victory on Road Kings. That's the one everyone saw, and they started to associate you with Road Kings. 
in part because the commentator was obsessing over the lane change on Twitch. It's like, we use the lane change. Was that when Bob Matthews was doing it? I, I think so. Because he, he insisted to the like, whole screen. Why are you not doing the lane change? After I'm, the like, I'm sorry. I don't know. For whatever reason, I've been playing yes. pinball forever. The game I had just come from, I want to say, was uh, for the card or something. So the lane changes were opposite. Well, okay. It was just my only excuse, but there really is no excuse. Uh, but on road games, you have the top two lanes and you have your in lanes, and that's where you're changing. And I had never played road games before, but I had looked at the rules and knew what to do, and I was going to multi ball the time box, and I just kind of, I guess, discounted the lane changes. Yes, yes. <laughs> and everyone but me was like, oh my god, why are you doing yes. the lane changes? He was, he was and so out of it. Realized, he was so, he was very, I mean, it was, it was funny just because, because you did win it without the lane changes. You're, you had a, you had a strategy where you avoided the center shot. Right. Um, that was my key strategy. And that really worked out for you because you would go and you'd get your road and your king stone out, right. and then you would do your ball locks and get your, your multi-ball out. And there's some time time block system to it, um, and it, it all added up to be pl- plenty of points for you to secure that victory. Do you remember what uh, what game Zoe uh, won on? I don't. I wish I did, but you know, there are so many in, in the list. It was kind of a blur from that weekend. Yeah, I, I, she won one game, and I I ended up going four one with her. Right, right. Gardell's committed. Yeah, and once again, I can tell she's a really good player. I just happened to get her four one that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so then you got to move to the semifinals, and that was against uh, Sunshine, who isn't a player I, I'm familiar with. Right. Um, uh, East Coast, though. I understand she's from the East Coast, and she plays every weekend. From what she said to me, she goes to pinball tournaments every weekend, so she's very experienced. But from my experience playing her, the more I played her, the more frantic she got. Okay. And she really talked to the games, which was interesting and kind of cool, actually. Um, we did not hear that on the stream, but right? we could we could see some of the frantic. I wish you nature. could have. Cause, you <laughs> I know, wish I could now too. If something went well, she was like, "Oh, thank you." And if something didn't go well, she's like, "Come on, come on." She would like talk to the game, oh. and she was kind of interested to play. She was really into it. Um, but things just did not go her way that day, <sighs> and. The more frantic she got, the more calm I got. <laughs> right, right. And on that one again, Road Kings once more shine through as right. uh, one of the one of your stronger performances, uh, which in terms of score, VCD, sure, sort of thing. Because then you got to into the finals, and it was Helena, right, who has been a, a long term, extremely high ranked uh, yes. ranked champion. Yes. Um, and obviously, as you ending in second place meant. That. She did secure victory. It was it was four one. Your 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 win was on Roadkins, as we've come to expect, <laughs> which is weird. But yes, yes. <laughs> yes. And um, the the flip a card not go so well. I didn't get, I one. didn't do too well. Which she called that flip a coin, and I was like, oh, I got this. Yeah, I, pl- right. I play short flipper games all the time, and I just didn't play that well. I got like two thousand something. And she gave me. And then there was the the other EM that I keep blanking on. Big deal. <laughs> Big deal. And it was she card thing. played amazing because I almost rolled it. I got yes, like you played amazing too. I played. Like, you had to play first. I got like nine hundred thirty thousand, and I was like, against most people, that would win. And then she played second player, and she beat me with like nine fifty. Yeah, yeah, it was like within was twenty thousand like, points. That was amazing. And, and then, I I worked on a big deal at one point. It was somebody else's, and I worked on it, and I didn't play it that much. 
And as soon as I found out that was in the lineup, I was like, oh, I should have played that more. It looked fun, uh, from what it's I can tell. Is it not? Okay, then never mind. I won't, like, I won't see You would think, looking you at You made Road King start to look fun. I started to look fun <laughs> out down at Texas. Like either. <laughs> I started to look fun <laughs> at Texas pinball. Oh festival. my god. I didn't find what's it over. I didn't yeah. spend any money, but I was. I'm, I'm big deal. You would think you would go for the drop targets, but no. Yeah. You just go for the left shot up to the in lanes. You uh, just keep doing that over and over. Okay, that that would get which is what both of us were doing. <laughs> and ironically, like in the women's world championship, you could play extra balls, but we like didn't play any. On <laughs> on big deal, you could have gone for extra balls, and I was kind of doing that, but I didn't really get any. So <laughs> okay, that was okay. kind of sad. Right. Oh. Yeah, that's a jo- I think that's a Josh Shop philosophy. If there's right. extra balls, he likes some play. Otherwise, turn them off. Until I got there, because when I was looking up the rules beforehand, anything about extra ball special, I was like, okay, disregard. It's a tournament. You're going for points. Right. But, but it's, it's, it's when weird. when I got there, he was like, oh, you can play extra balls. And I was like, oh my god. It, that really changes it, And it surprises a lot of people. But yeah, yeah, officially, IFPA rules are completely silent on extra ball. Right. So it's really uh, weird, but you know, so many places have house rules where you don't because yeah. the games will take I mean, they'll take forever. I know they'll take forever. Uh, and the final game was CSI. I know, which, and I played the worst game. And Helena really lit that thing game. up. I mean, uh, her stacked multi ball right. basically secured her victory. So uh, based on what she did, I was like, okay, I'm going to have to stack multi balls, right. and right. I just did not. And I was so frustrated because I. Yeah, I got like two million something, and it was so frustrating. <laughs> yes. I was like, "That's one of the worst games of pinball I've ever played." And it was in the last game of Women's World Championships. So I don't know. My thought was maybe next year right. I could make another run at it. Well, you you didn't you didn't win the trophy, but you won cash, and we right. we do like that. So I was like, "Well, she definitely deserved it, but next year I'll I'll come ready." Awesome. Sorry. But thanks for sitting down with me. Yeah. All right. That was my interview with Carrie Wing. Thanks again, Carrie, for sitting down with me. Uh, and congratulations once again. Yes. Thank you, and Congratulations. Tony was going, Tony couldn't make it, but he was, was going sick. to participate in the interview. He had had far more interesting questions, but I, I, I had, I would, that was, that was the day that the con crud doubled up on me double hard. I, I slept most of that day mm-hmm. when that interview took place. I was asleep. So, yeah, we actually ended up having to do that after 9 PM. She kept as she does winning. She just kept winning. I think she took second at that tournament. She just, ah, we finally, we were waiting for a lull and she just, she just doesn't lose is the problem. <laughs> it's, a, it's a problem. It's I a problem. But not, it wasn't it's a problem, a problem for me. that I, I wouldn't mind I went having. An, I went to and out well before having a chance to face her. So, so it wasn't a problem for me. I have my own problems. Speaking of problems. Let's move on to a topic, a, a recurring one for us, uh, Skit B, Predator Pinball Fiasco. I have an update. Not much of an update, but I do have an update. Uh, there has been some additional news. Uh, the main thing has been that Virtua Pin, which was the supplier or the contracted supplier or the arranged supplier for the cabinets for the Predator Project, they have submitted a request to have the default judgment set aside. This was done also by the Predator, uh, or I should say the Skip B owner, Kevin Kulik, his mom. She also had asked, and I think we may have touched on this before, but if not, uh, she had asked for her default judgment to be set aside on losing the trailer that he has been claimed to have bought for her. And that default judgment 
request was accepted for her and that they'll allow her to come back in and actually defend against losing it. I do not know yet uh, on I don't think a decision has been made yet regarding the default judgment set aside for Virtua Pin. The trustee has countered that the reasons given to set aside the default judgment that Virtua Pin is asking for are irrelevant and not actually based on any law and that it should just be rejected. So we'll see if that happens. Um, in addition to that, there has been a motion for sanctions made against Amanda Kulik, who is the wife of Kevin. Uh, that issue is she has a house, which there's a money trail that I, I don't think this is contested, that he bought the house for her. He's already admitted that. And it was at the last minute when they were signing, they made it so it was just in her name. So the trustee believes this is done to shield assets. And she had submitted a, a, a variety of affirmative defenses, which is, yes, I admit that I own the house. You know, I admit that these things happen, but here's the reason why. And an example I've seen of an affirmative defense is, yes, I admit that I shot and killed this person, but they broke into my house and I was protecting my family. That's an affirmative defense where, yeah, no, I did what would normally be seen as wrong, but I had a good reason to do it. So they, the, the trustee is asking that those affirmative defenses she's given, that there aren't any good. She, he, he wants those dismissed and sanctions made against her uh, as well. So for, for what's going on. And I mean, it was, it's a really interesting read. I have those documents in our research folder that we have for Skit B because those who have listened for a while know I have research folders on some of these companies. And so there's a link in the show notes where you can go and you can read all the legal documents. It's really interesting because it's like it, the, the defenses and stuff were, she wrote and a lot of them aren't citing any law. They're just kind of like, well, that's my husband's thing. And I don't know. I don't know. I don't see why this should apply to me. It's his fault. It's like, um, so the trustee kind of tears all that apart because he's like, that's not based on law. This is law says she's not, she can't do this. This thing is made up. It doesn't exist in law. She's, she decided the wrong thing. And I, you know, it's kind of that story. Why, why should you use a lawyer? Uh, it's so you don't make mistakes like this. So anyway, it's it's all very, very strange. But but for those that are wanting to keep up on the predator shenanigans, uh, I, there is uh, some additional legal documents uh, that were put up on Pinside. But but I keep them in the research folder so you don't have to mess with the thread. You can just go in and take a look at them. Yeah, that's one of those situations where I'm I don't even understand how they can think that they're going to get away with that one that that one of all of them seems the the house seems the most like hiding of assets compared to everything else yes uh I can, just be, yeah. right because the the paper trail of the money being transferred into the personal bank account and that exact amount of money being used in the cashier's check to do the down payment plus the prior admission by kevin coupled with the fact that the name his name was on the house until the final documents where it was then removed yeah I, uh, uh, you know what? I'd wish them luck, but I I don't. So uh, I can you know. see arguments done for the other stuff. I I don't really know. If Virtua Pen's got an argument because that's they got that machine for that specific thing. So, but I think the problem that Virtua Pen has, as as far as I understand the issue, and I, and full disclosure, I've I've used Virtua, Virtua Pen before. Uh, I I have a cabinet that I bought from Virtua Pen to build my virtual pinball cabinet. Also, I've used them to buy pinball legs before because I like the pricing better. This is before I was aware of any of this, but 
but just, you know, full disclosure, I have used them as a vendor. I've not had any bad experiences with them. That said, my understanding of the problem that Virtual Pen finds themselves in is the accusation by the trustee is not so much that Virtual Pen got paid to to make the cabinets and the you know the money was essentially stolen by Kevin on the predator behalf because that wouldn't be Virtual Pen's fault. The issue is that the trustee claims Kevin never got the 250 cabinets he sent the money to Virtual Pen for. So since you didn't deliver product, you need to give the money back. And I don't know what Virtual Pen's defense to that is. Obviously, with the default judgment, they didn't levy a defense, and now they're asking for the opportunity to do so. So that's the situation that I think I, you know, that they got a, and made an arrangement with Kevin, so they'd buy a CNC machine and get paid a certain amount, even if it was more than what they would normally ask for. I think the issue in in this case is isn't anything to do with that dollar amount. It's just the fact that if you are contracted to deliver something and you didn't deliver anything, then you failed on your end of the contract. And since the trustee's trying to claw back as much money as he can to pay the creditors, he's looking at Virtuapin and saying, "You got paid up front, but you didn't you didn't do everything. You only gave him, you know, 10 cabinets. You didn't give him 250. So, we we need a refund on that." And Virtual Pin has not ever sent the money back to Kevin. So the question is, why does Virtual Pin think it doesn't need to provide the cabinets or provide a refund? So that that's my understanding. Well, they just it was a bonus. They just got a bonus. It's because they're nice people. Well, they had a bonus. It sounds like the bonus is going to be going back. So I guess they'll be extra <laughs> nice when they when they end up refunding the money unless that default judgment is set aside. Normally setting aside default judgment is is pretty atypical and I, you know, the, this is the same judge that was handling the bankruptcy stuff that oversees all this. I kind of understood when the mom and the trailer thing came up and, and her argument was convincing enough that he was willing to set that aside and let her come and defend. I don't know if he'll extend the same uh, leniency to a vendor, uh, especially since the dollar amount was much more significant because it's six figures. But we'll we'll see. Let's go to our final pinball topic, uh, one that both both of us can actually talk about and not have to do anything involving uh, a whole lot of legality at the very least. And that <laughs> is a little bit. Hopefully it's, it's, it's come up in some of the discussion. But uh, the IFPA, International Flipper Pinball Association, has announced that they are planning at the start of 2018 to introduce tournament fees. So w- what are these tournament fees? It will be one dollar per player per tournament. The fees will be 100% paid back into the field. The way it's going to work is 75%, so 75 cents on every dollar, is going to go back to the state championship prize pool for the state that the money originated from. And 25% will go to the national championship prize pool. So all the money will be paid out as prizes. It's not administrative fee money for the IFPA, but it is designed to elevate the purses for those uh, SCS and NCS events. And the SCS event was the, was that event that I, I ended up barely qualifying into, uh, back in February that I, I briefly mentioned where I think I finished 11th and was the 15th seed. Currently the way this works is for, at least for this, this last period, the 2016 period that we played out in February is everyone who competed in state had a $20 entry fee. And then I believe the winner of of it got $100 and a portion of all of our $20 fees also went to nationals to handle that purse. So the discussion from Josh Sharp, who's president of IFPA, uh, when he announced this is 
that they, you know, they want to increase the prestige of the event. They think that upping the purse amount is going to get better media coverage, that it's almost embarrassing to be able to say you won a state pinball thing. And, you know, when you're talking to the media and then they ask you, well, how much was the purse? And the purse for winning was a hundred bucks. They think that, you know, it'll look better with higher dollar amount and that they need the higher dollar amount to have a better chance to leverage sponsorship to increase the purse size even more. So that's the summary of it in the grand 30,000 feet overview. Tony, what are your thoughts about this? Because it is a pretty significant departure from the current system. It is a big departure, but honestly, I think it's something that will end up being good in the long run, uh, seeing as the fees are being 100% paid back and it will help ri- rise, raise the uh, tournament's desirability for people to play in and stuff, um, especially the national tournament because people go there, but it's not like it's one of the important tournaments out in the pinball scene. Um, the dollar a player per tournament, uh, I think it's just going to be seeing how the various locations cover it. Do they increase their cost or they, do they just reduce their, uh, uh, winnings? Their, the, the winner, what the winners win, win, win. Yeah. I know what right. I'm talking about. The, the, lo- the local, <laughs> the local tournament payouts. Yeah. yeah the local and- tournament, do they, do they reduce the local tournament payouts by the little bit to feed the extra dollar or do they increase their fees? Either way, I don't see either as being, a huge thing compared to what I think it will end up getting in the end for the actual championship games. I mean, that that 75% going to state championship prize pool, just looking at the tournaments we play in, I mean, it's not unusual to have 18 to 30 players at two tournaments a month. 12 months a year. I mean, that's, and if 75% of that's going to the state championship prize pool, that's going to do some major changes to that prize pool. And that, that's in Kansas. That's, that's not even that big of a, a state. I can't even imagine what's going to happen to the prize pools for states like New York or California or Oregon, where they've got huge turnouts and lots and lots of players all over the state. Yeah. It, I mean, in terms of what the IFPA has expressed as their desired effect, I, I think it's going to have that in turn. It's, it will definitely generate quite a bit of money for the, those prize pools. And, you know, I, I get them, but I get the motivation. Uh, the, it must be, I, I kind of feel bad for IFPA sometimes. Um, you know, even I, when I, when I think about IFPA, what what are the two main pinball groups? There's IFPA and there's PAPA, the professional amateur pinball association. And whenever anyone asks me what the difference is, my little one sentence description is PAPA is about big, massive tournaments. IFPA is about assigning points for little tournaments that, I mean, they assign points for the big tournaments as well, but that's just how I think of it. IFPA gives you a ranking system. That's what I like about them. I love the stat tracking. And, but when I think major, significant, respected tournaments, I think PAPA, the PAPA circuit events, PAPA world uh, championships that's been going on this weekend and Pinburg, which is at replay FX, which replay foundation is what controls PAPA. Uh, and for those, and I did not know that, I mean, PAPA uh, is a 501c3, IFPA is a for-profit LLC, but I don't believe they make any money. I, I, you know, I don't know. They probably get some administrative money from their sponsors, but anyway, uh, it's got, so 
I feel a little bad for IFPA because they do all that. I mean, all that tracking, all the, I mean, we, we follow when we have our tournaments and see our, our listings and stuff. And, you know, it takes time because it is volunteer driven. They've got all these people. They're running all these, what would they say they had in 2016, 3000 tournaments that they had to assign points to. I mean, all of that work and nationals isn't the most respected tournament on the scene. It's not. It's not even the second most important one. Maybe you could make an argument for third, but Pinburg and Papa World is are bigger events. They're more respected. That's where the serious competition is. And so I, you know, I sympathize with IFPA probably feeling frustrated that they do all this work, maybe in their minds more work than these other tournament st- setups require, but they have this big national championship and it's not the premier championship in the US. It's not. So you increase the purse though, and then maybe people take it more seriously. So there's that beyond the whole media and getting the sponsorship, which I which I believe as well is is something they're being driven towards. I have a couple of concerns and I I expressed this and uh, and Josh Sharp uh responded to me on on Pinside. One was uh charity events. I really, the the dollar is applying to everything with Whoppers. I am very perturbed that they're subjecting charity events to that condition. And the reason is that I think it hurts the optics for the charity event. Currently, if I go to Flip Off Hunger or whatever, uh, they advertise 100% of your entry fee goes to the charity. That's how it works, but you won't be able to do that anymore. So you either run the event without doing the IFPA sanctioning and not award Whopper points, which means you don't win over the people who are coming just for the Whopper points. And I have no problem exploiting people who just want Whoppers to help charity. I'm fine with that. It gets you better numbers. Or you decide that those better numbers are worth it and you say, okay, we're also going to collect a dollar and and give that to the IFPA, which is not a charity. So we can't list it as a charitable contribution in any way. We have to some way demarcate that, or we have to get a sponsor cover the IFPA fee, which is something that has been talked about that's going to happen in Kansas City uh, for the charity events. It's just, it creates additional hurdles for the tournament director or the charity event organizer, depending on how you approach it. I have a, I have a problem with that just because it, it, it only disadvantages the charity, the new system. It only disadvantages it. And the response from the IFPA was that they had some issues in the past with how they were, where people were exploiting a loophole with the charity thing. I, I don't, I don't know because I didn't follow it back then. So it, the, I understand they have a, they have a concern. I'm not sure that that concern is the same concern that would apply anymore. But anyway, I'm, a, I'm a little bothered by that. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where I can, or I question if how much of an issue it will end up being or how much, how often it'll turn into something where it, it where it turns into a, seeing as it's just a dollar a player, if they'll run the charity event and everything that's gathered for the charity event goes to the thing and then the tournament runner just will run like a, not a, not necessarily a side event or a, uh, uh, but just have like a tip jar type thing out looking to get to cover it or just cover it themselves, depending upon it. Uh, the tournament runner or something. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think, I don't really think that this is something we're going to see hurt the number of IFPA tournaments, uh, total. Really? 
Because I, IFBA I, is expecting that the numbers will go down. Oh, well, I, no, I think they'll go down some, but I don't think it's going to, like, break the IFPA. But I think a lot of the small tournaments might disappear, you know, the tournaments that have, like, you know, 10, 15 people might disappear. But I, I think for the most part, you're, it's not, you're not going to see a major, major change. I mean, I don't think any of ours are going to change. I don't think any of the ones we attend are going to cease to be IFPA events. Uh, not that I've heard anyway. So, but I, this is something, I mean, there, this doesn't go into effect until 2018. So we're going to see a lot of arguing about this over the course of this year. And it'll be interesting to see what other, um, thoughts people have and the various responses the IFPA has. Yes. And, and that's where a lot of the discussions been driven. I agree with you regarding in the, for us, the Kansas city area, this is not a big deal. Uh, I believe the, I mean, I, sh- I shared a, a link, uh, regarding the, the announcement from IFPA from our podcast page to the Kansas city pinball group on, on Facebook. There has been a robust discussion going on over the week about that general consensus is it's not a big deal from our perspective. Uh, the dollar amount is not a big deal. The tournament directors, uh, you know, the, the discussion so far has chiefly been probably keeping the fee the same in our case and just sending the doll, you know, $4 to the prize pool per person for the local event rather than the $5 currently. There's been not, not everyone's really keen on it. Um, one of the issues, uh, though, in terms of what's driving discussion in other areas is that not everyone does it the Kansas City way. So the big example that keeps cropping up is Wisconsin. In Wisconsin, most of the tournaments are free. So now you're moving from a free system to a now-you-have-to-pay system. There have been claims by some people in Wisconsin that Wisconsin law won't allow them to do this, that this would count as the sort of prize pool thing in their state counts as some sort of gambling winning and would be illegal. And so now I haven't seen any of the law cited. They, they, they insist they're very sure that they're right, but I still, I'm a little surprised that I've not seen statute cited, but this, this has come up with, uh, with the MGC, which is an, a tournament, excuse me. It's a, it's a show pinball show Midwest gaming classic, which was going on, I believe uh, this week or, or last week. And that they used to do prizing uh, at their event. And then they were told they had to stop that they were breaking the law. And it's just, regardless of the reason in and of itself, uh, you may have a legal hurdle there, which would be frustrating. And I'm, I am, you know, I do not know what the law says in Wisconsin. I've seen some, some people cite some stuff and I'm still a little confused about what's going on there, but I am confident that IFPA as small as an organization as it is, did not review the law in all 50 States and all the Canadian provinces to know whether or not it was safe. So there may be some that are precluded from participating anymore because of that. But there's also the issue of if you exist in an area where your events do not cost, you obviously now have this additional challenge to say that you want them to start costing. Uh, IFPA isn't going to make you. You could let people opt out. They're they're fine with any scenario, but the opt-out situations bother people as well. And opting out is something that has been discussed here for Kansas City. But if, for example, we were to go to a 403 tournament and we do an opt-out provision and you know, you finish sixth, but players one, two, three, four, and five opted out in IFPA. You won the tournament. That's how it's going to show up. Huh? 
you'll get the Whoppers for the win, but your Whoppers will also only be based off of the number of people who paid IFPA. So if it was a 60 person event, but only 30 people played the TGP calculation, which is the, you know, they have a whole efficiency thing to determine how many points are going to be awarded. That's based off of the number of people who paid them, not the number of people who actually went. So the tournament director's calculations or planned calculations to try and get as close to hundred percent as possible may be thrown out if there was a lot of opt out because the number of players is a key component to the formula. So we've got complications regarding that. Uh, and something you brought up at the very start of this segment was the issue about, you know, we, how, you know, how much we generate, which one of our uh, area players uh, who's big in the tournament scene, Steve has speculated. I think that the amount we would probably, if we continue doing what we've been doing with the volume we've been doing that we might send say $400 a year to nationals. Uh, But I've seen someone out of the, I think the Seattle area estimate that their scene would generate over $2,000 for nationals. So here's that's, the th- that that's the that's for nationals. That's not even what they generate for the local. That's what they generate for nationals. Correct. Right. It would it would be it would be threefold for nationals. So six yeah, for state. So six grand. So the, this was an issue, and I, I asked this to IFP as well. And again, it, it's a for profit LLC. They can control this. Uh, it's just a question of blowback. Uh, I'm curious. Currently, SCS is 16 players per state. Everyone gives in their $20. The amount thus every state contributes to the national pot is identical. With a 25% rule, though, you're going to have places like like Seattle, like Portland, like uh, Pennsylvania, which hosts Pinburg and the Papa World uh, competition. They are going to send a lot more money than we send. And we here in Kansas will probably send significantly more money than some of these other states that barely run anything whatsoever. So it's a question, I, you know, we're moving from a, I, I hate to do the, well, no, I don't hate it, but let's do a political comparison. We're moving from a Senate structure to a House of Representatives structure where it was one person, one, one national positioning, and it was okay because everyone was giving the same amount of money, but now you're doing proportional money representation, but IFPA has made clear it's still going to be one person per state. So I'm curious if I don't expect this to be a big issue until it actually comes up, but I'm wondering if some of the more pinball populated areas are going to grouse longer term over basically subsidizing the little guys. uh, Whereas you were moving from a system where everyone was equal. Yeah. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see how that works out. I mean, it's man, I really just, at the part of it's like, well, that's nice because it's going to make the national worth actually competing in. And at the same time, it's like, yeah, but if somebody from Rhode Island wins and, you know, throughout the course of the year, Rhode Island put in maybe $50 total and then Washington put in, as like you said, several thousand. I mean, that's, that's just how it works out. But I can see where that would leave people feeling like they, we're on different ends of the scale, but at the same time, it's everybody is paying the same thing. And it's just a matter of how many tournaments you go to, how many of those dollar single dollars you're playing in. And it's not Rhode Island's fault or Kansas's fault or, or, or New Mexico's fault that they've got a smaller player base than Washington or California or New York. So. I don't think it's going to be a huge deal on that one in that case. I don't think there's going to be too many people who get overly upset 
by it, but I could be wrong. I could be entirely, entirely wrong on that. <laughs> I could see people with pitchforks and torches now. <laughs> well, you know, it, 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 yeah, it may not, it may not end up being a, a, a particularly big deal. It's, it's just, it's just, it was an interesting question to me. It's a, uh, I'm curious, I'm curious if there will be, I don't expect that to until 2019 when the 2018 uh, championships are going on. I don't expect it to be a huge issue until it's actually seen in action, seeing how much money is raised. Uh, I think the bigger issue uh, in the broader debate, which I think is the, the most interesting aspect is what this does for competitive pinball. The IFPA trying to increase the prestige of the national event, I think this serves. They've expressed that as their goal. I don't know if this actually helps advance trying to get more people into playing competitive pinball because at the end of the day, it is an increased cost. And it's an increased cost that really only benefits 16 people per state. And you can always run events that are not IFPA events, but part of the sell that some people have employed as a strategy is come to this event. You're going to be internationally ranked. You're going to, well, you're not, no, you're not anymore unless you go to one and you pay your dollar. It's just a dollar. So on the one hand, yeah, not a big deal. Uh, on the other though, is pinball, are we at that point where we're, we're okay with that? And, and uh, it's debated. Uh, some people are okay with that. Um, I think our area will be okay. Our tournament scene will be fine, I believe, with it. But I don't think it does a lot to encourage new people into playing pinball. Uh, I think it does the the prestige the prestige thing. So I could see it getting better media coverage, and maybe that you know you could say, well, that's the long game. You get the better media coverage, and then people are, oh yeah, cool. I'm reading about pinball all the time. I want to go try that out. So it can work that way. But in the more word of mouth way that things have been flowing, I I don't. I don't know. Uh, and then we've got, you know, obviously the the thing going on like with, with with Wisconsin and such is there's talk about setting up their own just sort of state tracking system. By and large, outside of nationals, the ranking rating sort of thing isn't a huge deal. Like you don't need it to go to Penberg. You don't need the points. You you go, I mean, other than maybe mandating that you be in a division or something, if you happen to have a certain amount accumulated at certain events, you know, they've got certain thresholds or keeping you out of novice or whatever. It's just, you don't need it to participate in very many things outside of state, state nationals. So, you know, they're thinking maybe they'll, they'll create their own, their own system and, and move forward that way. Uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's just a question of how much work they're willing to do. I, I don't think that's the, I don't think that's the idea. Honestly, if you wanted something, if this really, really bothered you. I'd say you want another point system and you want it to be national. You go to Papa and you say, Papa, you need to create your own point system and, and try and get them to, to do it uh, and use that point system to encourage the, you know, one, one approach and IFPA point system and you get points, you could do both points. I mean, unless one group banned another which nationally I can never really imagine it happening. Cause could you, I mean, imagine IFPA saying we're not going to give points if Papa's awarding Papa points, poppers, we'll call them poppers, uh, for the same event. And then Papa says, fine, everything on the, on the Papa circuit is no longer worth IFPA points. You just lost your main source. Good luck with that. But I just don't think there's the broadly, I don't think there's the interest. I don't think this is a bit, a big enough deal. My only main thing about the idea, and I, I'm glad that the IFPA has announced it this early. The only real thing that irks me, actually irks me, and I don't just think is an interesting debate, but irks me is that they 
are refusing to indicate a clear line in the sand about where this will be seen as a success versus a failure. IFPA has been saying that if it doesn't work, they're going to do something different. Maybe create a pro and an amateur point system, maybe just undo entirely. The only example they have expressed that would be a sign of failure is if the IFPA number of tournaments drops by 90%, which is a well, hurdle, yeah. <laughs> which is a hurdle so low it's flat ground. Nothing, there's no way it's dropping 90%. So when pressed, I saw, I believe it was Josh Sharp had expressed, well, it's going to be a gut feeling thing. Uh, you know, I, I get it, but I, but I, I really dislike, I really dislike that. I really dislike that approach. This should be able to be, there should be a measurable target. It should be expressed publicly and just, you know, let that way everyone can see. I, I get it. It's a for-profit LLC. They can do whatever they want. That said, this relies on a lot of volunteer tournament directors. That's where all this burden is falling is on the tournament directors. That's why the system is chosen is so it doesn't increase IFPA's workload. It increases the the fills of the world. Phil's our, our main tournament director here in Kansas City. And some of them are going to be cool with it and some of them aren't. I'm fine with trying it, but I really would like to know what the real measure of success is so we can see if it works or not. Everyone can see. We don't have to rely on someone else's interpretation. Just let us see. That's it. And if they lose a lot of tournaments because of the extra workload on the tournament directors, I think it's something that we will hear about relatively quickly. Yeah. I, I think I think we'll know within the first half of 2018 if it works out. I think so, too. <clears throat> also, just as a quick note to IFPA, because I know they're listening, making huge announcements that completely change how your things work on April 1st. Probably not the best way to start something. <laughs> you know, I heard that the, he did that deliberately because he thought it was funny. <laughs> and, and um, you know, I can appreciate that sort of trollish sense of humor. So, yeah, uh, pr I, I probably wouldn't have done it myself, but but eh, OK, well, yeah. Yeah, because everyone thought it was a joke at first, of course. So, you know, I don't know if the idea was it was going to cut the tension. Uh, but if that was the goal, fail. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. definitely. All right. Well, let's go ahead and hop over to less uh, less fail and more more pew pew into our video game segment. Let's open with what we often must open with, and that's Overwatch. But we don't have a whole ton to talk about this time, which is good. nope. I have not played played Orisa yet. Uh, uh, thanks to spreadsheets in space, I haven't even played that much Overwatch in the last couple of three weeks. But I have played Orisa. She's she's terrible. Is she terrible because you're bad at her, or is she terrible because she's terrible? I'm not bad at any character, so the latter. Okay, I except, I, except Widowmaker, I am bad at her. A couple uh, but, of the games I've played, I've played, I've seen some Orisas being pretty darn annoying. Uh, no, oh, she she can be frustrating, but the the reason why I say she's bad is that she's just a blend of the other tanks. So she, it's the jack of all trades, master of none, in a game where everything is about being the master of something. Yeah, so she's just not. There's nothing about her that she does better than anyone else. Her shield is worse than Reinhardt's. Her graviton is worse than uh than Zarya's. Her gun mechanics are worse than the DPS characters. So you don't need her for that. Her fortify ability is worse than Bastion's ability to just go into turn. So it's that that it's that. 
it's that that's her issue. So I think at the lower level, like the level I play at, she can be frustrating and fun and, and interesting. She definitely, I, I don't mind her in quick play, but competitively, I mean, she's got some interesting gimmicks, but I think she needs, she needs to be just the best at something. And then maybe she'll actually be chick. She'll be picked in, in the meta. You know, we're talking getting her in the meta. Um, the thing that I, I thought we should go ahead and note was Lucio. They are on the PTR. They're working with a number of changes to Lucio. Uh, and I just thought we'd, we'd go over those because it's it's designed to be pretty significant. I, I'm, I'm a bit surprised because they hadn't touched Lucio in quite a while. But the plan, as I understand it, is they want Lucio to be less of a mandatory meta choice, but also at the same time make him more fun to play. Wait, wait, I, wait a minute. Wait, wait. Who says Lucio's not fun to play? Yeah, I, you know what? I don't know. This was Jeff. Jeff says so. What is it? Jeff Kaplan, the guy who always comes out with all the Overwatch discussion <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know if it's a common complaint, uh, but I mean, I guess maybe in, in a lot of gameplays, he's sort of strategically hanging out in the back and not getting to do a lot. I don't, I don't know. I enjoy Lucio just fine, but. But anyway, I, I do agree that there is a there is still a sense that you often need him. I, I see more teams going now that they've uh, made the Mercy changes. I'm seeing Mercy in play a lot more, but generally it's her swapping out for Anna instead of actually being the uh, Lucio substitute. So here here's just the quick list of what they're planning to do. The uh, his Sonic amplifier. They want to that's his pew pew gun. They want to, they're, they're testing, making the projectile go increase its speed from 40 to 50. And when he does the boop, his alternative fire, the right click, uh, it's now going to consider vertical orientation when knocking characters back. So you can aim up a little bit more and actually boop them up over, you know, like up over that lip of the wall sort of thing. Good. That's something that he desperately needs because I've 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 had a lot of boops fail because somebody caught a knee high wall. <laughs> so you see, he he's getting more fun already by the second. All right, crossfade the the song that uh, the area effect is going to be decreased from thirty meters to ten meters. That is a massive change, and that's the change that's gonna tr- that's going to try and take him out of being mandatory. They had announced the uh, in the PTR they were doing a temporary in-game visual to illustrate the radius, which only Lucio and his teammates could see because so they could see if they were within the new range. That's actually gone over so well. There's been a lot of pressure, and I think Blizzard has already indicated they're inclined to actually move that into the main game, so you'll actually see a radius, so you know if you're within R- Lucio's range range all the time no oh, that'd be, be nice so yeah sounds, i would like that. i think they're going to do that i think they want to change it up from how it looks in the test but but it sounds like they're going to go ahead and move forward with that uh the healing song they're going to modify so that the heals per second is going to be increased by 50 percent, and that applies as well when he does amp it up so within that 10 meter radius he's going to do 50 percent additional healing than what he currently does um there but they've cut his healing over time so much that this is still isn't going to move him back up to what his original healing was, if I recall. Right. I know most of the changes historically were to, were to the amp it up version, at least, which they've done yeah. significant nerfs to. So I guess they're thinking that he can go ahead and have more healing again, though, once you have to hug him. Cause now it's hugs. It's time for hugs. Hug Lucio hug. His alt sound barrier. They're going to decrease the radius. It's currently 30 meter meters, the same radius as the current song. They're going to drop it to 20. 
So it's going to be bigger than his regular radius, but it's not going to be as big to put the shield up on everyone. And the final changes involve his wall ride ability to run along the walls. They're going to increase his movement speed by 30% when he's on a wall. And whenever he jumps down off of a wall, he's going to get a speed boost. I like that. I mean, I wall ride as Lucio a lot just for fun, but having it actually speed you up is going to be real nice, especially when you're at those critical moments where you're trying to, you know, maintain a, uh, a contest on a point that X, that increase in your speed will be nice. Yeah. He's going to be ultra super annoying now, but very fun to play. That's their plan. He's going to be fun. Tony, you're going to have he fun. He was already fun. He was already fun. So anyway, those, anyway, that's all I had on overwatch. Just they're they're planning to make some Lucio changes. So support players be aware. Um, all right, we're going to go ahead and hop over into the games we've been playing. We got we got a number of them to to do. Well, three of them. Um, I'll go ahead and uh, talk about Battle Group Two, which is the game I mentioned in my intro that the Link Cable Podcast gave me. Thanks again, guys. Um, it's a real time strategy game. Uh, it's almost like a shmup, or maybe more like an on rails game, except because you don't control the avatar. You're a naval ship, uh, like a battleship, or after the first part, you're actually two ships. And what you do is you shoot down enemies and their incoming attacks, but it's strategic because you have to lead all these targets. So they're shooting missiles and stuff at you and you have to shoot them down, but kind of like missile command, you need to figure out where the, where the attack's going to hit and which one's going to hit you first and prioritize all of that. It's got powers and stuff to help you along and you can do upgrades and such as you play. Uh, so it's all very, very quick to manage. It's not like a, uh, RTS where I'm spending 20 minutes building the village to build the units or anything, the upgrades and, and ship unlocks and stuff all take less than a minute in between the stages. The, uh, the game itself plot wise is extremely cheesy. The bad guy is a rip right out of Cobra commander, the hood version, not the mask version. And like the very first mission you're going along and you're this huge ship, which you lose and you have to start using a smaller ship and you lose it because the bad guy's like, I have hostages. And you're like, we will stop you with our ship. And he's like, no, I will kill this VIP unless you give me your ship. And we're like, we must give him the ship. Like, <laughs> you gave him the ultimate ship. What's wrong with us? But video games, that's what's wrong with us. So anyway, uh, I'm on mission number 15 at this point. Uh, I've done one major boss fight, uh, which was w- actually way back. I thought I would have hit a second one by now. Um, I haven't played a strategy game in a while. XCOM 2 is still on my stack, and I think I might do that one once I finish my next game I'm going to talk about. But but I like playing this. It's you know it's a, it's like a simplistic RTS. I'm not having to invest a lot of time per level. It's like less than five minutes to do a level, uh, and so. It's just, it's really quick and easy. And because of my newer computer, I actually get to play it on the super ultimate graphics, which aren't the most super and ultimate because it's a, it's a pretty simple game, but Hey, for once I actually get to have it set on fantastic and get to enjoy it. Well, I looked this game up when you were talking about it in the thing. And I have to say, a, a, it's, it's definitely, uh, uh, an interesting looking game. But you know, it reminds me of a game I used to have on the PlayStation 2, just from the whole, you know, ships with crazy weapons and stuff. It was called, uh, Warship Gunner. I think it was, it was Naval Ops Warship Gunner. Oh man. That was probably one of my favorite PlayStation 2 games. Played it constantly. And it's a series that never, never continued, but this looks kind of, 
similar-ish, except for being all top-down shmuppy instead of letting you actually control your ship. But yeah, I kind of like I the aesthetic. I would have liked a little more control to it. It's very, it's very isometric, and that's why I did more of my shmup on rail shooter comparison aspect because that's that's ultimately how it plays out. The the strategic element is entirely focused around you trying to read how the aircraft are flying in and how their missiles are coming and making those determinations, trying to get them where maybe you could get them both with like two planes with one shot. Uh, some stuff takes more than one hit. And, and it's pretty challenging because the major limitation is the ammo. You you reload ammo at a set speed and there are upgrades and such for it, but you only have so many shots that you can bank. So you can actually run out of bullets and be stuck waiting for your cooldowns and all the missiles are flying at you. And it's very, it can be very stressful when that, how you got, I had one moment where I had like 15 missiles coming at me and I was dry and I ended up, I was able to take out a bunch of them, uh, you know, waiting and stacking as best I could, but I still almost lost both my ships because of it. Wow. Anyway, so that was just a little a surprise thing there that I hadn't expected to be playing, but that I had it. The game I've been mostly playing is Far Cry Primal. Um, I, I mentioned that I got it back back in October uh, for my birthday, and I just I never got to it because I was playing the other games first that I got, and then I had Christmas games, and Final Fantasy Fifteen has been a major roadblock for me, along with Gears of War, which I still need to finish, and some other stuff. So. Anyway, Far Cry Primal, just in a nutshell, I'm about uh, a fourth of the way through the game, according to the meter as of last night. I put in a ton of time this week. I love this game so much more than Final Fantasy. It's sad. I was just like barely wanting to turn on my Xbox and play Final Fantasy. I was, I was just like, eh, I'll just watch YouTube. I'll just watch Twitch. No, I was like, no, I'm going to play Far Cry Ti- F- Primal. It's time to go hunt some saber tooths. So you're a caveman <laughs> in this game. Uh, the big gimmick that they've got in it is you can tame a bunch of the predators. So like I run around with a saber tooth tiger because I can ride him like a pony, a little pony with, with fangs. And we go around and we eat mean things and you go on vision quests and such mechanically is completely like far cry Four, aside from really the, the taming mechanic uh, in a lot of ways. I mean, you don't have all the guns far cry Four was uh, I really liked far cry Four. I swear they even make the Eagles and owls, even the owls, I swear are the same sound as the Eagles were in far cry Four, but well, isn't it just uh, like, isn't it basically just like on the Far, Far Cry 4 oh, yeah. engine? Wasn't yeah, no, it something no, no, no. they just it's, kicked out real you, quick? You can tell. For, you can tell. Yeah. It's, like a Saints, it's like some of the Saints Row games where you totally, you totally see its origins, uh, its engine. It's all, uh, it's just the setting though. It's a lot. I think the setting is better. I think the, it's 10,000 BCE setting. I think it was a great idea. Uh, I like having all the, you know, really be afraid of all these predators that are out and around. They make it dangerous to go around at night, which was different than four was. Uh, and it's just that sort of sense of vulnerability. Uh, you're not dealing with you know, 50 different guns to manage, but you're, you're managing spears and clubs and bows. And so I'm using a lot of bow work, of course, so I can do things at range. It's just, I think it's, I think it's better than far cry four. I think that, I think they pulled it off better. I think it feels less samey far cry fours missions felt very samey to me. This obviously, uh, to a degree, they're not that different of missions, but the the world aesthetic is very different. So it's like you'll go out into the northern regions and they're, it's cold, but hey, you're a caveman. So the cold matters. You actually need to find fires and stay warm and you need to upgrade your clothes or you will die. So it's making me think about things in a much different way. And in Far Cry 4, being afraid of the wildlife was a joke in the sense that 
it was dangerous. There was very dangerous wildlife, but I couldn't ever stop laughing. Like eagles would swoop down and then you'd hear people cry eagle and an eagle would kill them. <laughs> it's like, no, but in this is like, okay, these are very bad eagles. They're almost saber tooth eagles. Very eagle. dangerous. Or, hey, look, there's a huge mammoth. It's big. It's obviously going to be hard. Oops. I didn't realize I was fighting, fighting it near its herd. Now I have five of them. Go get them, Sabretooth. Sabretooth is trampled to death. <sighs> Feels bad. So anyway, I'm I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, so anyway, if, if one is into sandbox, open world, uh, first person perspective games, I do recommend this one. I actually recommend it more than any other Far Cry I've played. And I've played one, two, and four. I've never really played any of the Far Cries. They're uh, not been something that I've had on my list, but. It sounds like a pretty decent series. I've always heard a lot of good things about it. The, uh, what's the other? Uncharted. Uncharted are the ones I played. It was Uncharted. I've actually never played an Uncharted game. They, uh, they're very well respected, of course, but. I need to play more games, apparently. <laughs> well, tell us about the game you are playing. Well, the game I am playing, it's a really simple little, it's a roguelite. Uh, uh, adventure game. Uh, it's called Renowned Explorers International, uh, uh, International Society. It was, came out in 2015. Um, and it's a, uh, it's, I, I, there's, I know there's a descriptor for this game style, but it's one of the, uh, games where it's made, you're designed to go through multiple playthroughs because every th- time you play through it, you unlock a couple more things, you unlock a couple more people, a couple more, um, things to help you out so you can do better and better with each playthrough and it's got a really good ability to adjust your difficulties but what i like about it is have you ever played ftl i no, i've heard of ftl okay. but ftl is an amazing roguelite and it's really hard and this game is like ftl in a lot of ways um except for it is easier and it is a bit more um its combat system is more interesting because its combat is based around like moods and attitudes um so when you get into combat it uses your t- the typical um uh, rock paper scissors type combat um where you know blue beats red red beats green green beats blue uh kind of like you'd see in um Fire Emblem games, or it's pretty common. We're just, oh, this is strong to that, but that's strong to this uh, type triangle, except for in their case, in, in the case of Renowned Explorers, it is your choices are red is aggression and green is friendliness and blue is despair. And you actually... The mood changes and based upon your team's mood versus the other team's mood, it changes what bonuses are active in the game and it changes, uh, how your, how everything reacts and the kind of bonuses you get at the end of the, uh, match after you win your little round O combat. Um, and what's really fun about it is that you can be friendly and your opponents will leave the field and say, say your opponents are big into despair. If you're really friendly to them, they'll, 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 they will go, you know what? You're right. And they'll leave the field of combat. 
and you're not, you don't mm. have to kill everybody. You can, or you can break their will quite. I mean, you, if you use despair, you break their will and they will f- flee because you destroyed their self esteem and made them think the, the terrible things about themselves and you literally break their will. But what it is, is you take three, you get it, you choose a team of three explorers and you explore different zones looking to become a famous, the most famous explorer in the world. Renowned so even. Yes, exactly. And you're basically kind of Indiana Jones unit type thing, looking for uh, old uh, artifacts and this and that. Except for it's even Indiana Jones, you know, set in the 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 30s, and this is more set in the 1800s, and it's very kind of steampunky, and it's just a fun little game. It's it's real. It's not like it's super hard. Well, it can be super hard because you can set it to Iron Man mode where you don't get any restarts and where, and you can crank the levels up. And I haven't, I haven't beaten it on the, on the, the classic difficulty. They have the classic difficulty like XCOM does, which is hard. Um, but it's just a fun little simple game. I mean, you can cut through a run in it in no time, an hour or so. Uh, or even faster if you do really bad. Uh, and then you just start another run over and you choose a different team and you work, change your center, your team's synergy. So they work together a little better here, a little better there. And what moods work best for you and you choose which things you go after trying based upon, upon your settings and who you, how you've got your team synergies worked out. And it's just, I mean, the art is, it's really good art. It's not like, you know, blow you away, massive, amazing art. I mean, it's just a simple game. Uh, but the art, it's kind of fun, cartoony art and the stuff is fun and the, what they've written into it is fun. There's a lot of, there's a lot of chant stuff built into it, but for a roguelite that's not as hard as like FTL and looks better than FTL, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's definitely something I would recommend to people who are looking for a nice game that they can just, you know, play a little bit and leave and come back and play a little bit more later and not have to worry about it too much. It's not some deep in-depth thing. Looked at it really quick. So, all right. So I'd say I sort of turn-based strategy style. Right. Yeah. It, it's very much of the, most of those, I mean, it's, uh, FTL is the same way. Um, it's one of those games that is very much about, managing it's kind of like the fire emblem games it's about positioning on the field and and keeping your team working your team together in combat i don't know if you've ever played a fire emblem game nope Nope. apparently i don't ever play anything hell yeah i feel that i've been i've spent more time lately playing uh games on my phone or my tablet than i have a lot of other stuff anyway i've been playing uh the fire emblem on the tablet, which I don't remember the name of. It's Fire Emblem Heroes, I think. And, of course, Star Trek Timelines I've been playing right. for you a played month that or so a, now. A bit, quite a bit during uh, do- downtime in Texas, if I recall. Yeah. Yeah, I've been playing a lot of it. And so that's the, the, the kind of stuff I've been playing a lot of lately and spreadsheets in space. But I, again, not going to bore anybody with that because that would take hours to talk about. Well, uh, we're almost done. Uh, no <laughs> games to go over in our tabletop segment. Uh, I do want to note that uh, I did get my tickets for CantCon. So yep. we'll be I, at CantCon. 
Yep. And uh, I did actually submit for, uh, you know, our promotional uh, budget, what limited funds we we set for that. Um, we are going to sponsor CatCon or we should, I've sent them the money. So <laughs> people might, might see us in the, in the program book. It's just our, our way to help the local area a bit. And um, yeah, I need to still get the, the days off of work, but since I just got back, I, it's not a big deal. I basically just need the Friday. So, and I yeah, that's all, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to take the Friday and spend Friday and Saturday there. Just like I have for the last few yeah, years. Is that's my, my plan. plan. So we'll be doing that. And that's the show. So for those that would like to reach out to us, ask us questions, criticize us, ask us to cover things. You can always email us eclectic gamers podcast at gmail.com or reach out to us on our very active Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash eclectic gamers podcast. We're also available on Twitter and Instagram as eclectic underscore gamers. And okay, that's it. Episode 32 is in the books. Uh, goodbye, everyone. See ya.